I'm going to be reading this morning from John chapter 17 and would encourage you in the weeks ahead to make yourself familiar with John chapter 17. We're going to be in there for the next three weeks, and so if you want to spend any time at home doing some memorizing or reflecting, that's a good chapter to be in over the next couple of weeks. John chapter 17, beginning with verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I come from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your word this morning. And ask now that you would take your word and conform our thinking conform our hearts to your will. We pray that you take your word this morning and grant us a vision of the plan that you have for our lives. We ask that you take your word this morning and grant us understanding of your personal desires for us. God, we offer ourselves to you this morning. We put ourselves in submission to your word, to your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. As we uh, dig through John chapter 17 in the weeks ahead, we're going to be kind of focusing on three words each week. We'll take a, a different word, and our hope at the end is you've kind of got three words to hang on to that uh, will bring John 17 to a application in, in your own life. This morning, what I'd like you to think about for a moment is what would cause you to say, everything is going the way I want it to go? What would cause you to say, Everything is going the way I want it to go. Or maybe more importantly this morning, what would cause you to say, everything is going the way God would want it to go? What would cause us to say, hey, look, everything's happening the way God wants it to happen? In other words, what would cause you to say, everything's happening according to plan? 
I'm assuming this morning that the majority of us have spent some time in our lives wondering, what's God's plan for our lives? Not only have we spent some time wondering, what's God's plan for our lives? We actually probably spent some time praying and asking, God, show me what's your plan for my life. Not only have we spent time praying and wondering, I think the majority of us have probably spent time stressed out, wondering, what's God's plan for our lives? The majority of us this morning would agree and would probably say willingly, we want God's plan for our lives to happen. Well, what is that plan? Or in other words, what is it that the Lord Jesus wants to happen in our lives? We have a unique opportunity as we look at John chapter 17 to take a behind-the-scenes look almost, to take a step back and hear Jesus' heart and mind himself and basically hear what Jesus wants for our lives. As we answer this question, what does Jesus want for the lives of his followers, we look and see what Jesus prayed for his followers. What does Jesus actually pray will take place in the lives of his followers? And when we understand the prayer of Jesus for his followers, we can then begin to understand the desired plan of God for our lives. The majority of us spend the majority of our time with questions such as, where should I work at? Who should I marry? Where should I live? Those are the types of questions we spend the majority of our lives pondering and wrestling with, and then asking, what's God's plan regarding those things? Today, in the next couple of weeks, I would contend we're not going to answer any of those questions. But we're going to answer the question in such a way that when you do answer those questions, we should be able to do it stress-free. Because we hopefully will get a new vision and an understanding of what God is desiring. That God may not be so interested in where we work, but God is more interested in how we work. God may not be so interested in where we live as much as God is interested in what type of neighbor are we? May I be as bold to say, God may not be as interested so much in who we marry, but maybe more interested in what type of mate are we in our marriage. When we consider God's plan for our lives, we'll look and see what is Jesus' desire for his followers. And from that then, hopefully come to understand God's plan for our personal lives as well. In John chapter 17, we've got Jesus praying, and you can basically summarize Jesus' prayer, Jesus' heart in one word of what he wants. He wants resemblance. In other words, Jesus wants his followers to reflect to the world what's happened in Jesus' life himself. Jesus wants what happened to him to happen to his followers. In other words, Jesus does not want the apple to fall far from the tree. We're all familiar with this phrase, right? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. We know it biologically to be true, where, where children resemble their parents' physical characteristics and, and other things. Well, in John chapter 17, it's clear that Jesus is praying for one thing, that he doesn't want the apple to fall far from the tree. Look with me, if you would, at a couple of verses here to kind of see this consistency. Verse 5 in John chapter 17 Jesus said, makes kind of a statement and asking, he says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world. 
So he's kind of making a statement here that Jesus is going to receive glory when he ascends, when he accomplishes the Father's work. Now look with me down to verse 22. Jesus prays, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. So Jesus received glory or greatness or majesty, and now Jesus is praying, I want my, whoa, whoa. I want my followers to also receive majesty and greatness. Now let's look at another spot here. Look with me at verse 11. The end of verse 11. That they may be one even as we are one. So Jesus is saying here, Father, I want them to be one, what? Just as we are one. Jesus is not asking for something in our life that's not already present in his life. He's simply asking, make true in their life what is true in my life. Now verse 13. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. What does Jesus want us to have? The joy that he's had. Again, it's just what's true for him, he wants to be true for us. Jesus experienced joy, he wants us to experience joy. And this theme just continues on. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 18, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Verse 19, for their sake I consecrate myself or sanctify myself, that they also may be consecrated or sanctified in truth. You see the consistency here? Jesus is making these statements of who he is, what he has done, and he's praying, Father, make this true in the lives of my followers as well. In other words, Jesus desires that we would resemble him, that the apple would not fall far from the tree. When I was in high school, I worked on one of our neighbor's farms, and it was basically a family farm. So you had the grandfather that started it, and then you had the father, and then that father had kids around my age. So we did a lot of rock picking in the spring and in the summer, and they had a little wagon that they put behind the tractor, and on the side of the wagon, they had little things that you would ride on, and then you would jump off whenever there was a rock, pick it up, throw it into the wagon. And depending on who was driving, they sometimes wouldn't stop the wagon. Well, the grandfather, whenever he would come out to drive for a little while, was a horrible driver. You'd see a rock, and you'd say, rock, no stop. So you hop off while it's going, and then you're picking up the rock, you throw it back in, and you're saying, hey, stop, so I can get back on, still won't stop. But the moment you hop back on, what does he do? Stop. Thing. So constantly stopping, we don't want him to stop. Horrible with the clutch, daydreaming. Just an all-around bad driver, bad characteristics. So it's like, oh, okay, Grandpa, head back on inside thing. Grandpa heads inside, son comes out to drive the tractor. What happens? Exact same thing. You could go down to a T on the exact same habits, the exact same way of handling the clutch, the exact same way of deciding when to stop. They were the exact same drivers. The father was just like the grandfather. The apple did not fall far from the tree. The father learned to drive from where? The grandfather. Jesus is praying here in John chapter 17 that we would learn from Jesus himself and we would be a reflection of Jesus himself. That when we want to know how to treat others, we would look to Jesus. That we would be a reflection of Jesus because the apple does not fall far from the tree. The whole theme of John 17 is that we would be a resemblance of Jesus himself to the world around us. 
And then there's three specific things that we're going to look at of what we resemble when it comes to resembling the person of Jesus Christ. You see, humanity finds its purpose in the person of Jesus Christ. You could say that Jesus is the prototype for humanity. That in Jesus Christ, we have the idealized human of who God wants humanity to be. Maybe you've read in the Bible how it talks about comparing all humanity to being under Adam. Adam is the first man that's mentioned in the Bible, and Adam is the the man that's used to describe how we are all sinners and we fall under the curse of Adam. And so the New Testament teaches that all of humanity is under Adam. In a sense, we are Adam, that we just follow the pattern of Adam by making mad decisions and sinning. But then it also talks in the New Testament how a new Adam has come. That new Adam is the person of Jesus Christ. And so in the old Adam, we've got failure, but in the new Adam, the person of Jesus Christ, when tempted, Jesus does not fail. Or in other words, Jesus is the perfect human being. He's the prototype for what the rest of humanity should be. And so humanity finds its purpose when we are what? Following the prototype. When we are implementing what the perfect example has already implemented on our behalf. So we can find our personal purpose as well then when we ourselves are resembling or reflecting the image of Jesus Christ. And one of the aspects of of reflecting Jesus Christ is, is a word that carries with it a lot of baggage and is unpopular but it it may be the the biggest point of the whole prayer in John chapter 17, that when we resemble Christ, we ourselves would be holy, that we would resemble the holiness of God. There's this conversation that Jesus is having in the prayer here in a variety of different ways in verses 7, I'm sorry, verse 6 on through 19, kind of this conversation of keep going back to saying, I'm not of the world, they are not of the world, I'm going to leave them in the world, They're not of the world, so back and forth constantly. Jesus makes it pretty clear that he wants his disciples to be in the world. That Jesus doesn't pray at all, hey, get them out of here. The world's falling apart. Jesus does not ask for a mentality of escapism, where we're just Christians, flee from the rest of the world. Jesus recognizes and actually prays, send them into the world, keep them in the world. But there's this difference that's happening here. Jesus recognizes that though they're in the world, They're not of the world. There's this protection from the evil. The difference is holiness. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Verse 19, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. The word sanctify means to make holy. So Jesus is saying, make them holy in your truth. Let them be in the world, but let them be holy. Jesus doesn't want us to escape from the world, but rather he wants us to be in the world, set apart for his specific purposes. When you think of the word holy, many different things might come to your mind. But a couple of things holiness is not. Holiness is not separation from. Holiness is not separation from bad people and bad things. We see this in the life of Jesus. Jesus is perfectly holy. He's consecrated. Jesus does not separate from the world. Jesus is interacting with bad people and bad stuff continually. Holiness is not just abstaining from evil things. 
In the 60s, 70s, 80s, there's kind of the, the holiness movement, kind of the holy rollers. And those holy, those holy rollers were considered holy rollers because they avoided cards and they avoided dancing. Right? So avoiding those evil things, and we all know how evil those are, thing, made them holy. Holiness is not separating from bad people or bad stuff. Holiness is being set apart for something specific, for God's specific purpose. So holiness is being set apart for God's purpose. The other thing, holiness is not, holiness is not optional. We come from a place where holiness maybe isn't proclaimed that much because we want to be really careful how we preach God's law because we don't want to be downplaying God's grace. And so we recognize that we are forgiven, not because of our personal holiness, but because of the holiness of Jesus. And so therefore, sometimes we say, well, you know, yes, we want to be holy, but you don't have to be holy because we're forgiven, da, 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 da. And you just, you end up working yourself in all sorts of mess, trying to work it out. Well, one thing is clear from Scripture. Holiness is not an option, no matter how all of this grace stuff works. First Peter chapter 1, that Julie read for us earlier, it says very clearly, Be holy as your heavenly Father is holy. In all of your conduct, it says, be holy. In other words, set apart from the ways of the world. That your conduct would be distinctly different from the ways and the passions of the world. Not because you're in a different world, but because you listen to a different set of orders. Holiness is not optional. Holiness is mandatory. And some of you get a little bit nervous when I use that word mandatory, because then you start asking, well, save not, we're not going to deal with that question today. We're just going to simply deal with what it says, be holy. God wants us to be set apart for his specific purposes. Not, holiness is not separating from. Holiness is not optional. Holiness is not religious idealism. What I mean by religious idealism is this idea that, well, holiness is something that happens in heaven, only happens in heaven, and someday we'll all be there. God just gives us that command to make it known that we are sinners. Okay, God's not just laying out these different ways of being holy and the command to be holy so that we all of a sudden feel horrible about ourselves not being holy. Jesus is giving practical guidance to his people here. Jesus wants this for his creation. He doesn't just want to say, oh, it'll happen someday in the new kingdom. Jesus wants it here in creation so that he's glorified. Being set apart for the purposes of God is a daily reality where we submit to the ways of God rather than the ways of the world. Holiness is set apart for God's purposes and God's ways. Or in other words, you could say holiness is being holy, holy with a W, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holiness is being wholly focused on the Creator because you're set apart specifically for the Creator. And when you're pursuing holiness, that means that everything else is subservient to that overarching goal. So for example, when you're preparing for a marathon, and I consider myself a runner, I've run, a five, I've run a 5K thing, and, uh, you know, that training was just rigorous to get ready for that 5K. The appropriate way to prepare for a 5K is what? Well, actually, train helps, but bring everything in your life subservient to that goal. So it's not just a matter of 
well, I'm going to run once a week. But it's setting up a disciplined habit. But it's also what? Adjusting your dietary habits. So you begin to adjust everything for this overarching goal of completing the marathon. If you're trying to perform in the Olympics, everything in life is subsidiary to that goal. Where you live is subsidiary to that goal. What you eat, your daily schedule is subsidiary to that goal. Everything. The call to be holy covers all of our lives, and everything we do is subsidiary to that. So when I'm deciding how should I handle this interaction with my relative, it's subsidiary to the goal, be holy. That I want to be holy in the way I conduct myself with this specific relative. Everything we do should fall underneath, be holy. God wants us to be holy. Well, what is it then if, if we're called to set apart? What is it that makes us different? What is it that sets us apart? The answer is right here. Jesus says in verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So what is it that makes us different? It's God's truth. It's because we're marching to a little different drumbeat than the rest of the world. And he says here, truth, God's word. Or in other words, he's saying here, what God has revealed... That's truth. Therefore, that's what should be followed. And we believe that what God has been revealed is is in the written word of the Scriptures. So the Scriptures contain God's truth. We march to that drumbeat. That makes us a little bit different. Now, in high school, I went to a smaller high school, and I was in a variety of theater productions. And, uh, I mean, I was a talented actor, but they were also a little short on help. And so it came to the final play of my senior year, and uh, they were doing a musical called Hello, Dolly. thing. And uh, up to that point, it had been a lot of plays in high school, and now they chose a musical. Well, for those of you who know me, um, know that I struggle in the music department. Some would say struggle's not a strong enough word. But anyhow, so here they had this musical that they were doing, and the lead role they wanted me to have in this musical, Hello, Dolly, but I couldn't sing. It's a little bit of a problem. But being the most gifted actor in the tri-state area, they still gave me the role thing. And now to get ready for the role, we'd sit in a classroom. The first couple of weeks, we just sat in the classroom reading through the whole script. And we had an agreement before the play began. I said to to the director, I said, I'll gladly do this. I said, but I get to speak the parts rather than sing the parts. Okay, make it work. Da, 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 da. So we practice. First practice comes where we're on stage with the pit band. Somebody forgot to inform the director of the pit band that I wasn't singing, that I was going to be speaking the parts. And they didn't tell me that even though I was speaking, I was still going to have to keep rhythm with the pit band. So we get into the first one, and somebody was singing, and then I come in with my parts, and I think it was like, hello, Dolly, it's so nice to have you back, or whatever. Anyhow, pit band stops the song, looks at me, and he goes, who's in charge here? You or the pit band director? Well, of course. I said, well, I'm kind of in charge here. Thing, thing. Well, that changed quickly. Thing, thing. They made me follow along with the beat of the pit band because the pit band was unwilling to follow along with my rhythm. Now, at the end of the day, I had to choose. Am I going to follow the rhythm of the pit band Or am I going to follow the rhythm that's coming from here, here, and my my toes? took a lot of discipline, but I had to, believe it or not, I was able to follow the rhythm of the pit band 
during the musical and speak the words just fine. Now, you and I have a decision to make. What rhythm are we going to follow? God's truth or the fleshly desires and the world around us? To which will we submit? Which rhythm will set our pace? Who will be the pace car? The culture or God's truth? And God is praying that we would be set apart for the purposes of God. And, and how we're set apart is through our obedience to God's truth, the revealed word of God. That's what makes us different. Jesus' desire for us is pretty clear. He wants us to be in the world, but he wants us to be set apart for the purposes of God. Jesus wants us saturated in truth that as we remain in the world, we remain wholly focused on the Creator. If you go to your nearest bookstore and start looking for spirituality books and start looking for books that talk about purpose in life, the seven next steps to your best life or your best life now or purpose life right now today, look at all of those different spirituality books you're going to have a hard time finding in any of them the word holiness. But the reality is this. Our purpose is found, and true spirituality is found in the pursuit of holiness. Because God himself is holy, and he wants to set us apart for his specific purposes and his specific ways. And here's the absolute beauty and mystery of it all. Remember where this all started? In the resemblance of Jesus? We're coming from a foundation of holiness already. We're working from a position where Jesus is already holy and has declared us holy. And now Jesus is inviting us into a lifelong pursuit of being functionally set apart continually for the purposes of God. You're working from a position of victory, not from a position of having to appeal or appease or perform. And God invites us today to fulfill our life purpose by pursuing holiness. This last week in our house, we've been having a variety of conversations around the issue of physical health. It's that time of year where I got to go to the doctor and do all of these tests every year and get the results back and went and saw the family doctor and then he sends me to the next place. And the problem with modern medicine now is they've got all your charts online. That means you can look at them. It means your spouse can actually find out what's going on with your body, all of that stuff. So we've been having this question, am I healthy? Now, I'm healthy. Let's get that off the table for a second. But if you uh, look at the charts and you start looking at what the doctor's saying, you could look at the charts and well, I don't know. Where does it fall? Da, 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 da. But to determine the health, we've got a pretty clear place where to go. Got all of these different things, blood pressure, BMI, all this stuff. And then you've got the doctor that says what? Here's your range. And then what? You wait for that professional to tell you if you're unhealthy. But there's a clear dashboard that you're looking at for physical health. And you know you're physical healthy if the doctor who knows how the body operates best says you're healthy. This morning, not so concerned about our physical health. 
as I am concerned about our spiritual health. Where do we look to determine if we are spiritually healthy? The place to look would be where God says we should operate. If God knows best how we are supposed to function, then the place to look to see if we are spiritually healthy is to ask ourselves, am I operating the way God intended me to operate? If you want to examine your spiritual health this morning, look in a mirror, but not in a mirror of yourself, but the mirror of God's word and the person of Jesus Christ and ask yourself, does that look like me? Are you spiritually healthy today? Or are you holy today? Or in the pursuit of holiness, that you can be healthy, that you can be fulfilling God's plan for your life. Let's go forth and pursue spiritual health by pursuing the resemblance of Jesus Christ in all that we do. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give thanks to you for your patience with us and your kindness in waiting for us and forming us into your people. Lord, we ask that now you would continue to work in us that which is pleasing in your sight. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your holiness. And God, we pray that you'd now create in us a longing and a desire to be holy as you are holy. God, we praise you and we thank you. God, we pray that you'd put to death any passions or desires within us that are following the patterns of this world rather than the truth of your word. God, we pray that your truth would reside in our lives today. Set us apart for your purposes. God, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we celebrate that God is here in our midst. We celebrate that by obeying his commandment to do something in remembrance of him. By taking the bread and taking the cup and clinging to the promise that it was done on our behalf. And so this morning I invite you to experience the presence of God right here through the common elements of the bread and the cup. And experience the forgiveness of our wrongdoings that we can continue to enter into a life of fulfillment and enjoyment pursuing after him with our whole heart. We receive instruction in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink of this cup. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This morning, I invite you to come forward and to receive Christ's body and to receive Christ's blood to renew your spiritual soul so that you can continue to go forth in the pursuit of holiness. We invite all to come forward to receive the gift of God himself, those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, those who have said, God, I am a sinner. God, I trust in Jesus Christ for my righteousness. God, I trust in Jesus Christ for my salvation. I invite you to come forward this morning and to receive the presence of God and to be nourished by God's body and God's blood. Let's pray.
Almighty God, we ask now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would examine our hearts and our minds. We pray, O Lord, that you would refresh us through your body and your blood. We pray that now, O Lord, you would restore us to relationship with you and restore us to relationship with one another as we experience your forgiveness. We offer ourselves unto you. In Jesus' name, amen.